0: I've got a, uh, a big ask of each and every amazing human being in the room today, this morning. And that ask is to be ready to put something down so that we can pick up something new. Mm-hmm. So that's my ask. Because so I want us to even think right now. Begin thinking, if you were to walk out of this service today, you would be a very different person. A more amazing version of the now you. If you're able to walk out and be very different. What would you be willing to lay down to pick up that new you? That's what we're looking at today. And it's amazing as we've gone through this book of Mark, and we are, uh, we're taking a jump. So we've been through the first about five chapters, and now we're going to Mark chapter 11, which is the account of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. But it's still, you're still going to see this is the way of Christ. And even in his entry, we're going to be able to be changed by his way. And his way is different than our way. So I'm giving you a warning in advance um, that we're gonna see something different. But if we wanna see something different today, we need to put down the things that keep us from seeing it the way it really is. Several years ago, uh, Kurt genuinely hurt my feelings. In fact, he hurt my feelings more than almost any human being has hurt my feelings. And I'm still grateful for it today, but he came in and he said, I'd like to have a talk with you. And I said, okay. And, and it makes you nervous when somebody says, we need to talk. He didn't say, we need to talk. He said, I'd like to have a talk. So I was already a little bit on edge. And he said to me, he said, he said, Dad, sometimes you're kind of dismissive. And I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> but it was almost that bad. I resisted it. I really did. I started defending myself. So I was missing the significance of that moment, that my own... Son in law would say, I want to go deeper in my relationship with you, but if you're going to be dismissive, we can't. And so, Kurt, I knew at that point, I mean, you've always been here, but after that time, that's what happened. So I had to, I had to put down some of my own stuff so that I could be a better version and a better uh, father to Kurt, right? It's so worth it. It hasn't been worse since then, it's been better. And I'm sitting here and I'm trying to not look at Sarah because if I looked at Sarah, I'd just start bawling. But there's been so many times in my life where what she has brought to my relationship has forever changed me because I was willing to listen and see it from what she was trying to say. Why? Because she loves me and she wants a better version of me and she was brave enough to also bring it out. Friends, I'm telling you right now, God's looking for a better version of us. There's some stuff if we quit being defensive and ornery and ugly and just put it down so we could pick it up, something much better we would. And now here's the message today. You ready for the conclusion? Yeah. God is so much better and bigger and greater than we make him. We need to put down our current watered down, surface level version of Jesus and pick up the right wife. Amen. Because he's not dismissive. He's not small. And he's not waiting, he's working. And those of us who have eyes to see can see him for who he really is, and when you see that, everything changes. So that's what I'm asking us to do, and I think it's a heavy lift, and I'm acknowledging right now that I'm asking us to do three things that are kind of hard. And those three things are, are number one, I want us to be willing to say that we don't have the whole version of Jesus right now. We just need to admit that. We don't have the whole version of Jesus. But we want a greater, more clear one, right? So that's number one. Number two is I want us to acknowledge that when you see him for who he really is, it can be a little bit scary. Because change is going to come with it. You can't see Jesus for who he is and walk away the same. Amen? Amen? We're just not. So I want us to be able to even now say, okay, I want to see you. I want to see a deeper level of you. And then number three, I just want to ask you, will you put down anything that would keep you from seeing Jesus that way? That's what I'm asking us to do. Would you give me permission, church? Because if you don't give me permission, I'm, I, I, we can just do cool surface-level stuff, right? But If you give me permission, we'll go deep today. And, and, and here's what I'd like to acknowledge, that the perspective And the expectations that we bring today will frame how we leave here today. And so our experience together is only going to be as great as literally the expectations and the perspectives that we bring. And if we have limiting perspectives, put them down. If we have little baby surface level expectations, put it down. Let's pick it up that the king is coming. Let's pick it up that the king that we see on a donkey is the Messiah, the promised God of all time, that the whole world, everything changed that moment that he came. That's my expectation. My expectation is to believe what he says, that right now that Lord Jesus is in two places. One, he's in heaven building a dwelling for us. Oh my God. He's in heaven building a dwelling custom designed for each and every one of us. That's what he's doing right now. And oh, by the way, he's living inside of us, doing an inside job right here in this temple. Those are the two things he's doing right now. I believe that. And I have eyes to see that. But unlike the way we sometimes approach it, like I'm going to die one day and finally get to that house, that's not how I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it that way. I'm bringing his house to now land. I'm not waiting one day to make it to eternity. I'm bringing eternity to planet crazy. That's what we do. And that's a different perspective. And I want us just to lean into that perspective today. Are you ready to go? All right. So the, uh, the significance of Holy Week. Begins with this amazing thing that we call Palm Sunday or the triumphant Entry. There's Passion Week. We call it a lot of different things. But we need to realize that Jesus was about 30 years old. He lived that entire life for this week. All 30 of those years were in preparation for this last week. It was the most intense week of Jesus' life. Friends, it was the most intense week in history. All of history changed within these particular days. And sometimes we don't even know the significance of what Holy Week is. Everything changed. So here we go. Ready? On Sunday, it was the triumphant entry. We know that he came in riding on a donkey. We're going to look at that. and We're going to move into some celebration of that today. And there's a reason they call it holy. There's a reason they call it triumphant. Because the King of Kings, the Holy One, came in victory. But he was showing victory very different than what the world wants to see sometimes. He was showing victory on the back, a little burro, donkey, whatever you want to call it, just riding in humble and saying, hey friends, I'm here, anybody see? Anybody know their promise? Because the Messiah is here. So that's how it begins. Then it's really interesting. He goes to the end, you will see that today. Then at the end of the day at the triumphant entry, he walks into the temple. He takes a look around and he goes, Oh, my gosh, it's going to take some work. That's what he does on that triumphant neighbor. Some of us, we don't know that. At the end of the day, he, and we'll see this in the bookmark, he looks into the temple and he goes, well, I'm not going to be able to get anything done here today. It's, an, it's just too big of a mess. Going home to hang out with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. I'll come back tomorrow. Then on Monday, he comes in, and I love Monday because Monday is what you call temple cleansing and people teaching. He just starts. He goes in there and he cleanses the temple. And people, we sometimes we get this wrong, especially the evangelical church. They go like, "He made a whip and he just started thrashing people and throwing everybody out." No, that wasn't his approach. His approach was he went in and he said, "This is this is not how it's supposed to be. We need we need to get this stuff out so we can bring the right stuff in." There wasn't a, a sense of you've got it all wrong coming after you, it was a sense of you're missing how great this place could be. This could be a house of prayer. This could be a house by which everything changes. So let's get everything out that doesn't belong so we can bring in that which does. Let's put some stuff away to bring the stuff in that matters. Let's lay some things down that keep us from seeing it so we can pick it up for the way it really is. Amen? That's what he was saying. But then uh, on Tuesday, I call it, and Rabbi Brent, Brent, I can't help but to love this phrase, but it's called, I call it the religion collision. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, yes, you're doing some religious stuff. You got a lot of stuff right, but you're missing it. So we're going to have to have a loving collision so you can see what the word really meant. Because some of you are distorting the word, so I've got to help you get rid of your distortions and pick it up right. So I'm actually, he goes like guess I'm actually the fulfillment of the law. Isn't that amazing, and on that day, we know that He gives us the greatest commandment of all time love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, love your neighbor as yourself. Boom, that's His ace! That's His, I mean, that's the final card. All religion has to fit in that, isn't it amazing? And then on Wednesday, I love Wednesday. Wednesday is disciple day. The scripture is very quiet on Wednesday, He's just hanging out with His disciples. We know that evening He gets anointed. And some of his disciples go south because they they don't think that's right. Of course, the one who's going south is the one who's going to betray him. Right? What a beautiful thing for Jesus on Wednesday, just say, "I'm kicking back with my, my my friends," and in that, the beauty of it is they're going to celebrate him. Finally, they get it right. They celebrate him. Finally, they anoint him with costly perfume. Everything he, all oh, I mean, the best they had, they give to him, and then the they start. some people start complaining. It's just fascinating to me. He goes through all that, and then Thursday is the Lord's Supper and the greatest betrayal of all time. He carries that. And on Friday, we call it Good Friday, but friends, that's when all hell breaks loose. All hell comes against Jesus. All hell comes against the Lord Jesus. And he wins. And he wins. It doesn't look like a human win. In fact, if you had human eyes and you were looking at it, you'd say, come down if you really are the Savior and save yourself. He didn't come to save himself. God doesn't need to be saved. Come on. He can aim to save us. What do you mean? I'm going to come down and save myself? I'm giving myself to save you. That's how it really works. He just said, I'll just stay on this cross and watch how it really show you later. this is going to end. And it ends good. That's why we call it Good Friday. It was hard. Friends, when are we going to finally learn that sometimes hard is good? In fact, usually good doesn't come with hard. And I hope I'm in the right house. And so he, he just did it. Then Saturday, he actually did what his law says. He has a day of rest. Yeah. Scripture looks at you, you just can't, you know, it's hard to tell what he He just rested dead. He was like dead tired. That's like a bad pun, but anyway. <laughs> We do learn that he goes and releases the captives from prison sometime between Friday and the resur- day of resurrection. I'm not sure when, but uh, even if he did go on Saturday on his day of rest and let people out of prison, I'm thinking that was still pretty restful for him, like healing a man on this habit, right? That's what he did. And then on Sunday, and friends, now this is where I'm getting preachy. So so this is me, no one else. This is not redeemed church. This is not the authorized version of... Uh, anyone else, it's just my personal convictions, is I'm not going to sit here and talk about Oestra's fertility eggs and little bunnies and baby lambs and call it Easter. I'm just not. Easter is from the Greek goddess Oestra, and this is about Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. I'm calling it Resurrection Day, and I refuse to give any other watered-down version of it. I'm sorry. That's just it. It is resurrection day. You can't keep God down. And he, he came up from the grave so that the promise would be to each and every human being, you don't have to stay dead. We're not dead in our sins. We're not dead in our trespasses if we're alive in Christ. Ain't nobody doing that for you. That's my Texas. So let's just let's make sure that we intensify holy Week so that we can see Jesus for who he really is all eternity look to this week it reshaped everything and all I'm asking is that today we get reshaped that we don't leave this place the same that we are different people because we are here together seeking the Lord Jesus Christ alive today that we're making room for him in our very lives, like getting rid of stuff that crowds him out. And so if I'm in the right house now and I have permission to go deep, I'd like to. Amen. Uh, I remember uh, the first time I started going too serious with Jesus in church. It was at Hillcrest Baptist Church. It was our first full-time uh, ministry. It was in Port Angeles, Washington. We went there and... Uh, 1987. We were there 11 amazing years. A lot of crazy, remarkable stuff happened in that time. And uh, a few years into it, uh, the Lord brought some men into this church that were just not normal. They were just not normal people. Yeah. They were, they were, they were, they had their lives like dramatically changed people. And they took God so seriously. So one guy got saved. He, He didn't know anything about Christ. Darren Lucas, he came to know Christ. And then he came and gave his life after asking all these questions, all this stuff. And then he said, you know what? He said to me, I don't think you're explaining Jesus very well. And and again, it hurts my feelings, right? It's like, what do you mean I'm not explaining Jesus very well? I said, well, it's just not, I just think there's more than what you're saying. So he said, with your permission, I'd like to take a week off work and come in here and read the Bible through in one week over the intercom system in the, in the church. He said, because I have struggles reading and retaining, but I think if I played it over the, the tapes and the sound system in the church and read, I'd do all right. I said, damn, you are welcome to do that. This is, that's what I mean. This is not normal. He takes his, his week of vacation. I get there the next morning, Monday at 6 a.m., and he's already there, and the intercom's going, and I'm hearing Genesis going. That I mean, who does that? Then we come to his first, and several, so then other people like dance. So when you have dance, other people like Dan's start coming around. Other not normal people, and so he comes, and, and they say, "Hey, this is uh, this is going to be Holy Week. We really don't know Holy Week very well. So what we want to do to really get into the mindset of Holy Week is we want to carry across across town." Like Jesus carried his cross up to uh, Golgotha. And so I said, well, you know, this is kind of like laying down and reading the word. I said, okay, I'm, I'm good with that. And so they went and they figured out the life dimension, you know, the dimensions of a cross in the time of Christ. They built the thing. Uh, ten of them said, okay, we're going to carry it all the way across town. It's ten miles. And so they said, and Pastor, you're carrying it on mile number eight. And They had it all set up. So we did that, and it was a remarkable experience uh, to carry that big cross for one mile. It literally, it took it from one level to a whole other level. Are you with me? But that they would do that because they didn't want to just be uh, going through a holy week. They wanted to enter into holy week and be changed by it. And I remember carrying the cross. It was really interesting to me because it really was heavy. And and they put a wheel on it for my section. I mean, come on. At least I was doing it, you guys laughing at me. But, man, it was still really hard, but, and they gave me the hills. That, they were smart, so I, I knew there was a reason they gave me mile A. I wasn't sure at first, but yeah, they gave me the hills. So anyway, I'm dragging that thing with this little wheel, and I was thinking as I was carrying it of how hard it was, and yet I wasn't, you know, beaten to a pole. I mean, it was still hard. And then people were honking their horns, and some were honking their horns like encouragement, and some were jeering. And I realized what made it hard for me was I was embarrassed. I was just embarrassed. To have, like I really felt like I was putting myself out there and that people were honking and laughing at me for carrying a cross. And you, you start thinking, oh, my gosh, I feel so stupid. Like, what a stupid thing to be doing. I get it. I'd probably honk at me, too. And then I, that really key caused me to go into a deep place with Christ. And I just said, Lord, I hope you weren't embarrassed. I hope you didn't feel ashamed that the humans that we did this to you. We did this to you. We beat you to a pulp, we made you carry a cross, and then we shamed you. Uh, and I just kind of from that day on, I'm just telling you when it comes to Holy Week, I'm a little bit more ready for Holy Week. And so I'm not saying we need to build a big cross and carry it across town, but I think that was a pretty good. Come on, guys, let's start thinking about it. Let's start thinking what we really can do to show Jesus that we're not embarrassed about him, right? We're proud of him, grateful for what he did. But that's the mindset that's going to change us. In fact, we should lean into that mindset. I want to be different, I want to be more like Christ, right? That's the goal, isn't it? Isn't that where we're all going? All right. So, if you're going to make that uh, place, what I'm suggesting is that we're going to have to put something down to pick something up. If we're really going to allow God to change our lives, whatever's resisting God is going to have to get out of the way so that we indeed uh, can allow him to change our lives. There's three people that are going to see Jesus, three different types of people that are going to see Jesus on that day that he comes in first triumphant entry, and they're the same three types of people that we have today. First group of people that's going to look at it. First uh, before we look at these three people, Let's give God a chance with his word. So when he comes into this triumphant entry, what happens is these people, I'm going to explain them to you in a moment. They're going to see Jesus, and then there's going to be a light that comes on for some of them, and they go, this is Messiah. This is the promised Messiah. And so even though this was 2,000 years ago, these individuals that saw him riding that day, they knew of a prophecy that was 500 years old from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And then they knew that the promised Messiah was going to come into town right on a donkey. They knew it. They saw him, and a group of people started chanting, cheering, and shouting that verse. You want to see what that verse is? You want to read it with us? Zechariah 9.9, this is what it says. I want to let you know, it begins in the Hebrew command form. So this is, a let, let's contemplate rejoicing. This is command form. Rejoice greatly. I want to tell you why it has to be command form. Because at the time that this prophecy were getting, was given, the Jewish nation was in one of the most difficult places they'd ever been in. Coming right out of captivity, nothing looked right. Nothing looked good. Everything had been taken away from them. Everything that they knew, all their traditions, everything had been destroyed. They were, quote, unquote, hopeless. And God says, I got a word for you. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. I want you to rejoice greatly because he's coming. And here's the reason that you're going to rejoice. And I'm telling you right now, if you have to wait, just wait with rejoicing in your heart because you're going to have to wait. You want to wait grumpy. You want to wait rejoicing. You got two options, people. And so he says, I'm commanding you And Oh, by the way, I'm going to put a qualifier on it. Do it greatly. So I want to be around some people every now and then that can rejoice greatly. Every now and then, I just need to be around the non-normal people. The people that got something in them that's getting out. It's like, we can't help ourselves. And I don't want to be told that I have to rejoice. I think every now and then it's nice when people say, yeah, you need to dial that down some. I'd rather be told dial it down than you need to turn it up. This is where you guys should be getting fired up. So he says, here it is, word of God. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming. Watch this, to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. Humble and mounted on a donkey even a colt, the foal of a donkey. He's coming. That day, 2,000 years ago, as recorded by Mark, that we're getting ready to read, people caught it. And they just started going off with this. But there was three types of people that day, and there's three types of people today. And I want to show you who they are and how we can either receive this and move towards rejoicing or just stay where we are. You ready? Number one is there's believers. These are the ones that believed it, they saw it, and they spoke it. He really is. It's like, man, we get it. We never fit in before. We we never thought that the horse would come in on, you know, like the victorious to stomp out the Romans. We never believed that. We always thought he would be gentle and endowed with salvation. Here he is. We see it. We believed it. We see it. We speak it. That's the believer group. Then there's the next group, and Scripture says that they're the onlookers, that's the word. It's interesting, it's the bystanders, we will see it as we read through Mark, there's some bystanders. Bystanders are what a lot of us are today, like uh, we, we're looking at this just in case. Now we don't need to take God too serious, but we may be able to use him to our advantage. In fact, there may be some social advantages, we could create and make movement in our social causes, Besides, we all know that God really is a Democrat, or we really know he's a Republican, so therefore we can use him in our ways. Come on. We're just, we're just looking around, we're bystanders. How can we leverage this Jesus to our cause? And we will be as excited as the outcomes that we can get from him. Are you kidding me? Come on. They had the bystanders in his days, man. They were the ones that they wanted to be freed from Rome. They were the ones who wanted to set up the religious structures. Come on. It was no different then than it is now. Speak it. So there's bystanders and onlookers, and I'm asking us not to be bystanders and onlookers today. I'm asking us to see Jesus the way he really is. Believe what he says about him. Not trying to form him into our image. Come on. And now, before we get to the next one, please don't put it up yet because I don't want problems. All right. When I was a kid, my dad used to say to me, my, my stepdad, he'd said, Marty, why do you keep trying to graduate from the school of hard knocks? And I actually thought there was a, like a college called hard knocks, all right? I mean, I literally, as a young person, thought that. And he said, you're always butting your head up against things. And so here's my favorite group of people that often are here. I call them the buttheads. The buttheads. There's some people, man, I'd rather butt my head up against something than change. I'm going to push this through even if it kills you and it just might. I'm not looking to learn anything new. I'm looking to convince you that what I already know is true. I'm not entering into that. I'm not going to be a fool. I'm not going to see it the way you want me to see it. So you're not even open. No wonder we butt heads. Three groups of people. Believers, bystanders, and butt heads. Liz, I, originally I changed it because I really liked your message last week. I, I changed it to brick hearted. But I thought, no, I'm going with butt heads. I couldn't help it. But I loved Liz's message last week. Sometimes our hearts get hard when we move them, right? We don't allow him to come in and do the work he really wants to do. And I loved the message last week. I thought, I don't want to be a brick hearted right? I want, I want to be open-hearted, open-minded, see Jesus for who he really is, believer. That's what I want to be. So that's where we're going. Now we get to see what it looks like. And so if we're going to be able to see Jesus for who he really is, I'm going to suggest there's three things that we're going to have to be able to do. Number one, is to, it, again, is to move out of the head of the bystander, and jump into, I'm going to be a believer. I'm going to see him for who he is. We've got to make that commitment. I really want to see you, Lord Jesus. So would you just take a moment? And in your own space and in your own voice, would you just say to the Lord Jesus, Jesus, I really want to see you for who you are. I just want to see you new and fresh. Would you reshape my life with the way you show me yourself today? I do not want to leave here the same today. I refuse to leave here the same Come, Jesus, just show me who you really are. Reshape me. You have permission. I want you to. I need you to. Let's do it, Lord. All right. All right. So if we're going to move in that direction, we're going to see his word in a moment as he carries us there. To see Jesus the way he really is, the first thing we're going to have to learn how to do is to put things down, to pick things up. So let me I left my cell phone on the chair on purpose because I think we miss a lot of life because of our cell phones. I'm not saying in here, some of you are taking notes or you're reading the Bible with your cell phone. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying a lot of times in life, there's a lot of life going on and I'll look around and people are on their cell phones and they're missing all the life going on. And sometimes we just need to put down cell phone and pick up the life that's going on around us, right? But it's really hard when you have your cell phone in front of your face to see all the people that are in our sphere of influence. And so sometimes we'd rather be connected with that virtual person in there than real people right here around us. So sometimes it's a beautiful thing to just put your phone down and look around so that you can see things. Well, I'm suggesting that sometimes even in our spirit, We have to put some things down to pick it up. Because again, I'm coming back. There's times in my life where this has been my spirit. No, I'm not listening. I'm not learning. (laughs) And you have to put that down, open this up. And the Lord, the Lord's so patient. That's one of the things about him. He is like very patient. He's also full of loving kindnesses, plural. So he's got all the time in the world to wait. He's not going to rip our arms apart. He's not going to grab our cell phones and throw them down. He's just going to wait. When you're open and when you're ready, we'll move. And uh, you might miss what I can do right now, but time doesn't exist where I'm from. So let's see you open up a little bit. I'm encouraging you, open up. Then he says like this, he goes, and why don't you want to open up? Well, I don't want to change. Well, of course not. Look how you are. If you want to change, you want to grow, then we can keep talking. Something will be different. That's how he does it. So I'm asking you, be ready to put some stuff down to pick stuff up, and it's hard. Man, I have become a slave to my cool little cell phone. In fact, when there's people around me that are annoying me, I just pick up my cell phone and do something less annoying. Come on, they're great. We can do that. But to be really present to the moment, sometimes we have to put things down to pick things up. Amen? Amen. Right, so what I'm asking you now is as We're getting ready to go through this real-life encounter, an account of Jesus' triumphant entry into the most dramatic week of all history. If we could just see it for the way it is and hear what he says. This is the number one thing things he's going to say. If you really want to see me for who I am, I need you to put down worry so that you can pick up hope. You can't pick up hope if you're holding on to worry. It won't work. You want to pick up hope, put down worry. If you're trying to hold on to hope while you hold on to worry, hope doesn't work. So That's going to be, you're going to see that in here. And it's going. And I don't want you to worry about the outcomes and I don't want you to worry about what people think. If you can do that, if you can put down your worry about outcomes and what people think, you're going to see me more clearly for who I really am. Here it goes. This is in Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Let's go be changed, folks. As they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. And he said to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. This is already weird to me. I'm just sorry. i I, got to pause here. He says to two of his disciples. He's not saying. He's not saying. Can I get two volunteers? He's voluntolding here, right? He sent two, and I, I thought, well, Lord, why didn't you just ask? Why are you bossing people around? Why are you telling them you two go? And I started thinking probably because if he would have said, hey, I need two volunteers. Peter would have said, "Yeah, me, me, pick me, pick me." And said, "Man, no, forget the colt. I got a black stallion. He's going to be a lot better than some little colt. I'm going to set you up to be successful. Not look like all you old soft guy." So I mean, if he said, "I'm looking for two volunteers," I can see all everybody else going like this, you know, pick him, pick him. So instead, he says, "I'm picking two. And the beauty of this, it doesn't matter which two. He's picking two, and he's sending them. And I just want us to right now say, Lord, you have permission, not that you need it, you have permission to send me wherever you want. And I'll do what you say. And I won't worry about the outcomes. I won't worry what people say. Wouldn't that be amazing if we can have that? The rest of this will make sense. Oh, and by the way, you're going to see, he said, and bring it here. Verse three, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it back here. They went away which is almost a miracle, they did it, and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing, untying the colt? They spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. All right, so I I find it fascinating that they went, that the disciples did. You know what I find more fascinating? Let's, Let's be clear about what just happened. Jesus saw into the future. A colt tied up in a little village. That's pretty remarkable. He saw into the future his two disciples that he sent finding that colt tied up in the village. One more element, layer of remarkable. He saw into the future where it was, tied up, his disciples getting there, and then human beings interacting and talking with them. And he knew what they would say, even though he didn't tell anybody to say those words to them. He knew what they would say. One more level remarkable, he told them what to say when they said it. Can I tell you why are we worrying He sees into the future. He knows exactly when and where it's at. He knows how people are going to respond. And if we'll just listen to him, he'll give us the right words to say right at the moment so it all works out the way he wanted it to in the first place. That's who he is. If you see him less than that, you're making him less. We don't need a lesser God. We just need to see more of the one we got. That was good, and I just said that. Can we see him for who he really is? Can we put down our social status stuff? Can we put down our political agenda reviews? Come on. Can we put all that stuff down? Our watered down versions of bunnies and Easter's and eggs and whatever. I'm not saying those things are wrong. Just don't let them deflect from the majesty of the king. See him for who he is. He sees it all. He's got a plan. They gave him permission. So this, to me, is a amazing validation of trusting him. And I've trusted people before, I, I acknowledge it, and I've cared about what people think about me, and a lot of decisions I make in, in life, I'm kind of doing the cost-benefit analysis, is the outcome going to be worth what, the effort I put into it? Right? I think that it's okay to be strategic We think that way. But what I'm saying is that we need to lay it down our perceived desired expectations and make sure that they're in alignment with what he says. But he says. And that that is going to be the things that's going to not only change us the most, but it's going to change the moments that we're in. Just let's, let's start allowing him to really speak amazing things to us. Not the, not the stuff that maybe we even want to hear, but the stuff that if we will do what he says, it changes everything. I love him for wanting to speak that way to us. It's interesting. I mean, Holy Week, if you look at it, begins with a parade on a donkey into town. That's how we're going to have a parade. Let's start this parade, okay? Get a donkey. Can Jesus get on it? And the parade breaks out. And it wasn't all planned and orchestrated. It was just the way Jesus wanted it. Oh, by the way, again, it was prophesied 500 years before, right on time. That's how good he is. So I'm not going to sit there. I don't know about you. I, I think of it because my brother-in-law has two palm trees. Uh, Sarah knows, Kurt knows, we live close by, and he's got two palm trees. And I thought I'm going to just cut down his palm branches and just bring them so we can, all oh, wave them around, make this good. Like we have, we have our life group at our house on uh, Sundays before church, and I was thinking, you know, if we I can have each life group member cut some palm branches down. We could turn a party on in here. We could make it happen instead of this, you know, normal church stuff. uh, Normal church at Redeem isn't even normal, right? You guys are sitting out in the lobby behind the glass in the cold. You are not normal people. And so, I mean, we're already a little (laughs) bit unique and different, which is a beautiful thing. But there's really a value, friends in being able to see things from a whole new perspective and to be able to be engaged in it, not just to watch it, but pick up a palm branch and do something, right? Enter into that parade. Enter into that party. That's what he did. And oh, by the way, what did he say to the Jews? I command you to start rejoicing greatly. Shout. Do it. Get into it. Not. Don't wait till it feels right. Don't wait till it's good. Make it right. Make it feel good. You bring it. That's what he was saying. So to do that, you're going to have to say, I've got the outcome because praise is in me. I've got it. I don't need to wait for it to happen. I'm bringing it. I'm bringing the praise. I'm bringing the rejoice. Can anybody just get happy? Can you get your rejoicer out and dust it off and start working that thing? And then when you do it, just start rejoicing greatly. I don't know what that looks like, but uh, let's, let's, let's increase the rejoice tank today. That's number one. Number two is that we're going to have to come to a point where we're able to put down our what I call the prove it to me, wait and see, shut it down in dignity. Uh, In other words, I'll, I'll start getting happy. I'll start praising when you can prove Jesus is who he says he is, and you can prove it to me. Or maybe I'll just wait and see. This is that bystander thing. Or man, the way that you're moving forward with God, come on, that's a little embarrassing. I don't know about you, but I've seen indignancy at work before, and it shuts everything down. When you're sitting there and you're a a kid and you're trying to do something great, and you get a response from somebody that says, that's not so great, that shuts you down. That doesn't cause us to rise to our potential. That shuts us down in that space. That's why when teachers who are like third and fourth grade teachers and they say to kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? and they say, I want to be an astronaut, they say, you go be an astronaut, go join Space Force. That's what you say. You go do it. You don't say, you know, I don't think you have the acumen to be able to be uh, an, you know, an astronaut. Would you consider just being maybe a, uh, a street sweeper instead? That might be more accurate for you. That'd be an indignant, condescending response, right? Well, I need to, I'm admitting to you, I'm being vulnerable, friends. I need to be around people who aren't indignant. I'm already feeling the dignity. I'm already bringing it with me, right? I need to come in here and see people who can rejoice greatly and move it. So you've got to put down the wait and see. And we It's not about wait and see. I'll make a decision later. It's, no, how can I make a decision right now that brings the very best outcome for Christ? What can I now do? Let's do that. And then I need people around me that say, you go, man. All right. Verse uh, 9 and 10. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Man, I almost sang that, Sarah. I was trying my best. (laughs) Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the heart. This isn't a reflective song. This is a make it happen song. Can you hear it? He is the King. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Come on. This is him. Doesn't get any better than this. If you ain't rejoicing now, your rejoice is broken. What is in you? You're gonna let the rocks beat you out? You're gonna let the trees start clapping? Or are you gonna bring it? That's what's happening right here. And they do it, they bust it out. In fact, they go one step further to stupid. They start taking their clothes off and throwing them on the ground. I mean, you know, I can just, I can hear my wife right now because she's sort of a Martha. Marcy is a very high detail person. She has to be because she's got ADHD husband here for all these years. So she's got to take care of the details that I just blunder through. I could hear her going, like, you know, uh, we're going to have to wash that now. <laughs> <laughs> and friends, I mean, in this time, it's not like they have low energy washing machines and a lot of clothing options. These people have very few clothes. Clothes were very expensive and very difficult to clean. And they're throwing them on the ground so a donkey can walk on it. This is not normal behavior. So they're stepping out of normal. Why? Because they want to pick up something not normal. And they do it. And they're shouting. And the momentum's happening. Why? Because Jesus deserves it. Put down indignancy and pick up what he deserves. Give him the praise he deserves. Just do it. The object of the cheering, Messiah. The cheering gets more clear by shouting the kingdom of God. They're not saying, this is what I need you to do for me, Messiah. They're saying, I see your kingdom, and I love what I see. That's what they're doing. So here's my conclusion. Conclusion is this. It's verse 10. Jesus entered Jerusalem, and he came into the temple, and after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve since it was already late. Now Mark records this and some of the other uh, authors of the triumphant and don't record this. It's, it's exciting to be able to get the perspectives of the different authors of the Gospels of Christ because some say, you know what? Uh, the religious leaders said, hey, you need to tell these people to be quiet. And Jesus says, well, I could do that, but if I tell them that, uh, then they're going to be disobedient to the word that they understand and the rocks and the trees will start getting loud another account says you know what he just got off the donkey for a moment and just wept over the city of Jerusalem because of all the bystanders and all the buttheads and it broke his heart they was just not getting there so those those are the interesting but I love this account very end of the parade so the it begins with a parade into town and it ends with Jesus looking into the temple and it's not as it should be but it's not like Jesus says uh, he's disappointed, he doesn't say any of that. He, he just goes home with his 12. He's, he's gonna come back another day and get it right. The way I see this as I was seeking the Lord, he said, you know, Marty, I'm looking in at your temple. And everything's not perfect, it's not always in order. There's no problem. I'm gonna clean that. I'm gonna clean that up. Because I'm making a home for you in heaven, and you're making a home for me right there. Let's start cleaning. And the cleaning isn't, and we're going to do communion. The cleaning isn't, oh, you're such a bad sinner that you need to get all that sin out so I can come in. That's not the cleaning. The cleaning is sometimes you don't even have faith or eyes to see the way I see. Scripture says all sin is a sin of unbelief. Are you a Remember, believer, bystander, butthead. Can you stand into the believer realm? Can you see me for who I really am? Can you allow me to do the work I really Can we go deep? Can we change you forever? Can we see you believe this stuff so that faith starts moving the mountains? And then he goes like this. And Marty, here's the thing. If you're going to allow me to move in your life, you're going to have to pick something up. That's called hope. You're going to have to hope that I'll do it. And by the way, I've been hoping you would. That's where he's at. I hope that you're able just to allow him to come in and do that deep, beautiful work that he wants. I hope that you're able to see beyond the own, my, own, uh, my own humanity and, um, into the truth of this word. There's so many beautiful things right now that the Lord may want you to lay down so that you can pick up something better. Don't try to do a giant hard inventory as we're getting ready to do communion. Instead, just say, Lord, the very first thing is I just want to pick up a deeper relationship with you. I just want to to go deep with you. So any surface level, all that other stuff, I just want to lay it down and we really want to go deep. And uh, Lord, come do that beautiful work in me. Amen?